Good morning, Greenhouse. What's up? Good morning. Good morning. What's up? I love it. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Malik. I currently serve as the pastor in residence here at Greenhouse Church, and I'm excited to hop into the word with everybody this morning. Anybody excited? Uh, anybody excited? Okay, that's, that's better. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. All right, so listen, we are entering a new series, right? So we just finished up our last series. We're entering a new series, and you see it on the screen. It is called Navigate. Everybody say with me, Navigate. One more time. Awesome, navigate. Right, and the tagline is perfect. It says, how do we navigate challenging realities? I don't know about anybody else, but has, I have experienced some challenging realities over this past few months. Has anybody experienced some challenging realities, right? Like, has life been life in for anybody else out there? Right, like, it's just, it's just been tough, right? And, and so there are so many things that we need help navigating, right? From, from sexuality and identity and gender to the Bible to having tough conversations with relatives, to all the questions that life kind of sort of forces you to ask, we have trouble navigating all of these things. So today we're gonna hop into the first of what will be a few parts of our Navigate series, starting with what is my favorite part, the Word of God. How do we navigate life in light of Scripture? Right, I don't know about anybody else, but the Bible is the thing that we need to navigate all of this stuff. Without it, the only thing we're going to be able to do is kind of sort of guess. We're going to be able to guess about what's going on, but we will not have the tools and the wherewithal to navigate it. Does that make sense to anyone? All right, cool. Everybody hop to your feet with me real quick. If you're joining online, hello there. Join us standing wherever you are. If you're listening as you drive, please don't stand. Just continue to drive safely at the speed limit if that is the way you drive. All right, everybody ready? We are in the book of 2 Timothy. We are in 2 Timothy, and we are at chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 16 to 17. That 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. If you don't have it, that's fine. We're going to be looking at the great big sky Bible here that is above us anyway. All right, everybody ready? All right, let's do it. And so it says all. Everybody say all. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God, everybody say God. God uses it, it being scripture, to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. We will read it again. God uses it, scripture, to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. Let's pray and then I'll let you guys be seated. Jesus, help. God, it's not what I have to say, but even the message, the term of today, it is what you have to say. So God, speak. God, let the words that I say come directly from you. God, touch our hearts and our minds and help us to hear you better. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can have your seats. If you're home, you can sit down too. Right, and so here we are talking about the Bible, right? And so if I had, if you're taking notes and I had to give this sermon, this talk a title, the title is simply a question. The question is, what did God say? When we walk into life situations and we are, our backs are against the wall and we are struggling and we are exhausted, we have to learn to ask ourselves the question, what did God say? 
when we're faced with a decision that are, have two options. Well, what does God have to say about this? What does God have to say about my problems? What does God have to say about all of this stuff that I'm going through? I'll take a pause real quick. And I ask somebody, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you use a GPS to get around anywhere at all. Just about all of us, right? Like that is some of us more than others. But right, like I use the GPS every day because I don't like running into traffic. Right? I might know where I'm going, but this might be an accident. I'm going to use it every moment. But you see these GPS systems, when I, I'm, I'm young, but I was, I'm old enough to where we didn't always have it on our phone. I had like, my dad had this, this Garmin GPS system that it was the most finicky thing in history. To update it, you had to plug it into your computer, and I'm still old enough to where we had a dial-up modem, so we had to, as you plug it in, and it's, it, it got to the point where we just thought, we started leaving it at home. We would rather get lost than use a shoddy GPS system. But can I be real for one second? A lot of us today, myself included, use some pretty shoddy GPS systems and we wonder why we're getting lost, it's because the, the thing we're using to direct us isn't really good at what it's supposed to do, right? And I'm not that old, I don't remember using a map, but I've looked at one enough to know if you had to tell me to use a map to get somewhere, I will tell you right now, I will not be there. I'm just not going. I'm, I'm gonna stay home, I don't need a map to get to my fridge or my couch, and those are the places I would much rather be. And so I don't like to be lost. None of us likes to be lost. I've never met a person who's like, oh, we don't know where we're going. Oh, that's, that's just great. I've never met someone like that. Yet I wonder if we, use, if we use shoddy methods of navigation in our lives. Secondarily, when we do have the GPS, like the one that is currently on our phone, uh, Google Maps, uh, Waze, if you're cool, Right, like if you're using those GPS systems, when you start to use them enough and you trust them, they become authoritative. Right, like if the GPS tells you to make a left and it looks like a neighborhood, you're still making that left and you might end up in somebody's backyard or a community pool or something, but you followed the GPS exactly to where it told you to go. Because when you are lost, it becomes authoritative. The issue isn't whether or not we believe things are authoritative. We do, right? Whether it's our culture or the TV news, whether it is our friends and our families or social media. I don't know if you've spoken to anybody today when they give you a hot take and you're like, oh, where'd you hear that opinion? I like TikTok, right? So all of us hold something as authoritative and sometimes that thing is us. For most of us, the thing we hold to be most authoritative is ourselves. My opinion is right, and the way I want to do things is right, and the way I want to feel about things is right. Today, I posture and I submit to you something that probably should be a little bit more authoritative. If you notice, when I brought up, when I got up here, I brought the biggest Bible I had. I looked on my shelf and I brought the biggest one I own. And because I want everybody, even if you're in the back and online, to see the thing that I am holding up today. If the word of God is not authoritative in your life, you will not be blessed. You will not be happy and you will not find a true joy. That is harsh. And you know, I was like, oh, the pastor's telling me what I won't have. We're going to hop in here and the Bible says these are things that you won't have. We good? Everybody ready? 
All right, so listen, we're hopping in to the first point if you're taking notes. And the first question we have to answer is this. Can we trust the Bible? Right, like, like honestly, like it was a book written by some guys a couple thousand years ago. Can we trust it? How do we know that the book that we have today is the one that they're even talking about? Somebody could have introduced this one a couple hundred years ago. And how will we know? Right, like we find facts that get overturned all the time. How do we know the Bible is authoritative? How do we know that we can trust it? If you don't know me, I'm a little bit of a nerd, a little bit of a Bible nerd. So do I have your permission to get nerdy for the next three minutes? All right, let, 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 we're going to get nerdy with it. All right, let's do it. Right, and so here is how we know we can trust the Bible. Number one, there are more than 5,300, 5,300 Greek proofs and manuscripts of the Bible. But 5,300 in Greek, 10,000 in Latin. 10,000 manuscript proofs of this book, hundreds and thousands of years old that are in the Latin language. There are over 9,300 others from various languages throughout the ancient Near East. Altogether, we have more than 24,000 manuscript proofs that say exactly or basically exactly what, this, what the Bible that you have in front of you says. Why did I say basically exactly? because we don't really use some of the words that they used anymore. Like concupiscence. You can look that one up later, exactly. That was just to prove the point. We don't use the same language, but we have 24,000 proofs of the Bible that you hold here is on your iPads and is on your phones. Now, for comparison, again, this is my last nerdy point, but for comparison, if you've heard of Plato, right, Plato? Socrates, Aristotle, Demosthenes, all of these ancient Greek guys that make up a lot of our modern psychology and sociology and a lot of our studies. We have about, for all of them combined, a thousand proofs of what they wrote. Now, if you know me, you know I am a terrible math student. I have been a terrible math student. I might get better one day, but today I'm not the best. But I was able to pass the greater than or less than part of math and at least in my in my math skills 24,000 is greater than a thousand right am I right teachers in the room okay perfect thank you just wanted to make sure my math was adding up right and so the things that make up the basis for number one this country's government but number two a lot of other things including modern sociology and psychology and human theory we have more proofs of the Bible than we have of those things. You see, this is the beautiful and the interesting part. As it pertains to the Bible, every day, archaeologists in the Near East are still finding things that point to what the Bible is talking about. There was an ancient civilization called the Hittites. And for a long time, people were like, oh, the Hittites don't exist. Like, that's made up. And people, did. they used it to discredit the Bible for a long time. And then one day, someone was doing an archaeological dig, and they found a reference of the Hittites. And they were like, oh, I guess that wasn't a thing that the Bible made up. Every day they are still finding new things that this thousands-year-old book mentioned before we got here today. Not only that, the Bible contains scientific facts from thermodynamics in Genesis 3 
to hydrology and the full water cycle in Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and Job, to astronomy in Jeremiah and Job. The Bible contains the full breadth of scientific knowledge, especially for its time. The Bible contains the fact that the earth is a spear and hangs in the middle of space before they had cars. They didn't even have clothes-toed shoes. But the Bible was able to tell somebody that the earth hangs in space. What we now see from observation as we top on space shuttles and get out there. See, all of this to say, you can trust the Bible. And that's, that's without all the prophecies and all the other stuff that the Bible is continuing to fulfill to this day. The Bible is the most researched and the most proven book in antiquity. And so even just as a literary source, it stacks up to the test. You see, my friend, you can trust the Bible. Let me tell you a story about a man named Voltaire. If you don't know who Voltaire is, he was a philosopher a couple hundred years ago. And Voltaire makes this statement. Voltaire makes a statement and he says, 100 years from my day, he said this in 1776, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antique curiosity seeker. 1776, Voltaire says, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth. Can I tell you guys a very interesting fact? After Voltaire's death, some Christians bought his house and they turned it into a Bible printing shop, right? And not only that, the printing press, where he printed this same quote, is now, was then being used to print Bibles. Most of us here don't even know who Voltaire is, but do you know what's still here? Over a hundred years after his death, let me tell you something about this book. Empires tried to destroy it, but I have it in my hand. Kings tried to come up against it, but it's still here. People who have gone throughout centuries to throw this out have not been able to come against the word of God. I'm going to say it one last time. You can trust the Bible. Here's another big question. You can, but some question people are asking today, should we trust the Bible? Should we trust the Bible? Do me a favor and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, we're looking at verses 7 through 11. You don't have to stand because I'm going to throw it up there anyway. And this is what the Bible says about itself. Remember, we're asking the question, should you trust the Bible? The Bible says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect reviving the soul the decrees of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the commandments of the lord are right bringing joy to the heart the commands of the lord are clear giving insight for living right but that's not where it ends right it continues and it says reverence for the lord is pure lasting forever the laws of the lord are true each one fair they are more desirable than gold even the finest gold they are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. 
This is what the Bible says about itself. It even gets a little poetic and sounds like a little bit like Maya Angelou when the Bible says they are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even the honeycomb. The Bible says this about itself. What does this mean? The Bible says if you want instruction for living, if you want how to know how to live a righteous and upstanding life, it is contained in the word of God. If you want to have a life that is pure and perfect, the Bible can do that. If you want reviving for your soul, the word of the Lord does that. If you want to be wise, the word of the Lord offers you that. You see, because the Bible says something about itself that I don't think we always hold true. The Bible says it should be more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. I wonder how many of us in our day-to-day lives, myself included, hold the word of God, maybe not this physical book, but the word of God more precious than gold. In our day-to-day lives, is it that valuable to us? And let me tell you something, Jesus trusted the Bible. He quoted it every single moment of his life. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5, chapter 17 for me, please. Matthew 5, uh, verse 17 to 20, it'll also be on the screen. Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus said, listen, Until the earth that we are on disappears, until heaven itself disappears, not one part of this book will be erased from existence. And it continues, and Jesus says, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God, and at least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be great? Jesus says if you want to be great, you have to live and teach these commands. Right? And so Psalm says, blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it continues and it says he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And it continues, but it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in it doth he meditate day and night. If you want to be blessed, You have to delight in the word of God. You don't have to put any money in Greenhouse's offering bucket to be blessed. You don't have to shake my hand to be blessed. I don't have to put oil on your forehead to be blessed. If you want to be blessed, your delight should be in the law of the Lord. And in it, you should meditate day and night. My friend, if you want to live the life God calls you to live, you have no choice but to trust what he said. Listen, you should trust the Bible. So you can and you should because Jesus trusted the Bible. When Satan comes to tempt him in the wilderness, what does Jesus do? Jesus quotes scripture. Jesus says, it is written. And so if Jesus doesn't even utter an accusatory word against the devil, but he quotes scripture, how much more you and I? How much more you and I, when we face the things that life is throwing our way, my friend, you should trust the Bible. But you see, it doesn't just end with 
You should and you can. But the word of God has to become something for you. It doesn't just get to be an authoritative book that we put on a shelf and revere as true. But it has to influence every area of our life. And that's why the main question I ask today is what did God say? When we're facing the issues that we need to navigate, we're facing issues about how do I get along with a family member that is very contentious? The Bible has to tell you what to do about that. It has to inform your perspective or you will make a decision that God is not asking you to make. When you have relational strife, what did God say about that? When there are issues relating to our identities and the way we want to live this life and the way we want to know and to be known, the question is, what did God say about this? And because it can be trusted and because it should be trusted, it should inform the way you and I live life. Peter says that the scriptures, that, that all that we need for life and godliness comes through the knowledge of God. And I might make a bit of a contentious point. I might say something that might get some people upset with me, but I'm going to say it anyway. You cannot know God if you don't know scripture. If you know a God that doesn't fit in the, what this book has laid out, you made him up. And so if the God that you serve is contrary to the God that exists in this book, congratulations, you've made up a God. And that's fine. But if we want him to be Jesus like he said he is, if we want him to be the God of the universe like he said he is, then we have to believe what he said he does and the way he acts even when it doesn't make us the happiest. Because you see, the truth is, you look at this book and sometimes it's very nice. Sometimes the thing it has to say is very great. But sometimes it tells you to do some things that you don't want to do. Bless those who curse you. When they strike you, turn the other cheek. When it says, you know, like in this life, you will have trouble. Like it doesn't all, it's not all beautiful and great. And if not the most, like they're not the verses anybody's putting on the side of their house or in their car or on their phone wallpaper. But the Bible says this is what we do. And if we are going to call ourselves believers, we have to walk and talk and live like this book says we are supposed to live. And listen, I don't say this as somebody who has never run into problems and who has never run into a situation where how I felt did not go with what the word of God said. Listen, Zach had a rough week. I had a rough week too. I had a rock bottom week this week. I was looking forward to some things that didn't pan out. I was looking forward to here getting some phone calls and hearing about some stuff that it just didn't work in my favor. And it left me questioning a lot of things. But in that moment, listen, I was down, but I had to remind myself who my God is. And life will get you down. And the only way that you are able to get out of these holes is reminding yourself who your God is. When you are anxious and when you have worries in your life, Jesus says you don't have 
to worry because he's taking care of you. When you feel like he is forsaken, Solomon said, I was young and now I'm old, but never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. When you have your back against the wall, you can remember that all things work together for the good of them that trust. Listen, when life hits you the hardest, like it did for Jesus, you have no choice but to say, but God said, when I feel like he's forsaken me and I don't know where he is, I have to remind myself like David, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Life will get you down, but he has promised you that he will never leave you alone. He turned, he forsake Jesus and Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? So that he could look at your problems and that he could look at your needs. My friend, when life gets you down he has promised you some things in his word and when everything else isn't working out you can say God you said God you said that you would be with me you said that you are Emmanuel you said that you loved me and so I am going to hold on to that with all I have my friend this isn't just a book of rules this isn't just the thing that somebody wrote down to make us happy. This is how we navigate life's most difficult situations. When things aren't working out, I can remember that it is by his stripes that I am healed. When I feel like he doesn't love me, I can remember like Ephesians says, but while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. My friend, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. If the enemy has been beating you up, like he has been for a lot of my friends in the body right now. If life has been tough and you don't really know what's next, he has some promises in this book that he would rather rip himself to shreds than break for you. The Hebrews said since he could swore by none greater, he swore by himself. God is ensuring the promises he's made to you. And if it feels like they're not working, and if it feels like the situation isn't adding up, he is ensuring these things on your behalf. God is working. It might not always feel like it, but his word said he's working. If you wonder and you're, and you're like, you know, God, I, this Christian walk is getting hard. I don't know if I can do it. He that began a good work in you will continue. Jude says, now unto him who was able to keep you from falling. Jesus is reaching out. And when you are over the precipice of life, he wants to keep you from falling. If you are wondering where he is, you are in the hollow of his hand. And the Bible says that no one can pluck you out. If you feel alone, he has you in his hand. And I dare you to find somebody who is big and bad enough to walk up to God and to take what he is holding in his hand. The hairs on your head are numbered. When I was growing up, we were saying he has the whole world in his hand. He has me and you in his hand. You are in the hand of God. And that is what the word says about you. So when life doesn't make sense and you feel like you're alone, he's got his hand on you. And he will not let you go. How do we navigate all that this life is throwing at us? 
we remember that we can be strong and courageous. When we, like the Israelites, stand on the shore of what life has and life is throwing at us, we can remember that he's parted Red Seas before. He's made ways out of no way before. He's gotten people out of slavery before. What did he do? He did everything possible to rescue you and he won't leave you now. My friend, whoever you are, this book is for you. No matter where you find yourself, this book is for you and God is working to make all of the things in this life work together for you. But you might have to remind yourself that he's doing so every once in a while. You might have to hope in God for the rest of your life and you should because he is good. Like the Bible says he's good and his mercy endures forever. And so in light of all of this, in light of all that I'm saying, what do I want for you to do? First, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for a love of the word of God. You see, I, even as I am affectionately known in some pockets here at Greenhouse Church as Bible Boy, that was not always my nickname, right? Like that isn't, <laughs> thank you, Linda, for the new nickname. I am now Bible Boy, apparently. But before, like, before I became who I am today, I got to Bible college at, in my, at about 22, and I sat down at my desk, and I was like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I am at Bible college, and I, can, I do not love the Bible. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm here. And I sat at that desk, and I said, God, help me to love this thing. Help me to love the word like you love it. Help me to cling to it like you cling to it. And I've prayed a lot of prayers in my life. But there is only one that I can say he answered in complete abundance compared to everything else. And it was a love for the word of God. Be, be real with yourself. As you've struggled with quiet time and as you've struggled to get to know the word, have you ever asked God to help you love this book? Have you ever asked God to help you fall in love with his precepts? The longest chapter in the Bible is a dedication to someone's love for the word. It seems pretty central to what God has going on. So my first thing I want you to do is pray over the course of this week and for the rest of your life for a love of the word of God. Second, after you pray, I want you to go forward and know the Bible. Don't just have a familiarity to it, but know it. When I was growing up, we had to learn the books of the Bible in order. Right? From Genesis to Revelation. We have to hit all them things in a row. Know the word. Meditate on it. Hide it in your heart. You see, because what did the Bible say? That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you don't hide this word in your heart, resisting Satan will be very hard for you. Resisting this flesh will be very difficult to you. Memorize the Bible. We live in an age where there probably are about a thousand Bible memorization apps in your app store. Pick one. Find one of them and begin to lock the word of God in your heart. So if you're ever in a situation where you can't reach your phone or your iPad's dead, you don't have a Bible with you. You can rehearse the things that God has said in his word Know the word. Find yourself around people who know the word. Get in groups in your micro churches and even in core groups and sit and meditate on the precepts of God. My friends, get to know the word. Second, the second application point is like the first, believe the Bible. 
You see, a lot of people know the Bible. There are a lot of professors at seminaries around this country who know, who know the Bible and they do not identify as disciples because knowledge puffs up. Knowledge does not save anybody. But if you believe the word of God and you cling to it and it becomes the central authority in your life, you are beginning to take the steps. Believe it, hold it dear. Like tie it on your hand, write it on your heart, believe the word of God. Hold true to what he said. Believe that if he said he will perform it, he will perform it. My friend, believe the Bible. And third, after you know and you are working to believe, work to live it. Work to live it. Don't be like what James says. James says this in James 1. James says... But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets the kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, the word of God, and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. We don't just have the liberty to just be like, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's what the, it said, I believe it, it's true. What, what, what are you going to do about it? Live the word. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who use you. Turn the other cheek. You see, the problem that a lot of people have with the church today isn't the Bible, but it's how we live in comparison to it. They see a church that does not look like how God says they should look. And it's not just an us problem. Israel runs into these problems in scripture as well where they begin to lack reflecting who they are beholding. My friend, if when you behold this book, live like it, that might mean that you have to turn the other cheek when you really want to swing on somebody. That might mean that when the thing you want to say is at the edge of your tongue and you are remembered that your words are supposed to be seasoned with grace, you hold it back by the power of the Holy Spirit because you are living this thing out. Because Jesus lived out the word. Jesus did everything. He fulfilled all the prophecies that went before him. And so as I close, I remind you of Jesus. God didn't just send us a book that would highlight and help solve all of these problems. He didn't just send a book and he did preserve it through thousands of years through people who were committed to its faithful transmission. But he didn't stop there. You see, he continued and John says this. John says, in the beginning was the word. But John isn't talking about the book. He said the word was God and the word was with God. And John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. My friend, he didn't just send you a book, but he sent you his son. Knowing that life would get difficult, he said, listen, I will give them something to know me by. But not only can they know me by it, they can know me because I will dwell in them. Jesus came and lived a sinless life so that he could dwell in 
you. So not only can you hold this in your hand and in your heart, but Jesus can hold you in his hand and you can hold him and you can love him and he can love you. God sent his son to die for us so that we might have a life and have it more abundantly. He didn't just send a book. He sent his son and Jesus, who as the book says, was fully man and fully God. Jesus came and he gave his life so that we could have the ultimate fellowship of eternity. He doesn't, he didn't stop, but he continues. He sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send a comforter. He sent himself so that in the midst of life situations, you could remember what he said, but you could also remember that he's there. In moments where what he said is comforting, but it's not comforting enough, I want to remind you that he is still there. How do we navigate life's problems? We navigate it hand in hand with our Savior. We navigate it in difficulty and we navigate it in distress because yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he is what? He is with us. My friend, he is with you, standing beside you, moving on your behalf. And so as we begin and go through this series and we talk about navigating all that life has for us, start with the word of God. Start with the tool that he has given us so that we can live a life that pleases him the most. And if you are in a place and you're like, Malik, this is great. I don't even really like this Jesus guy. I invite you to the God who has preserved everything in this universe to get you to this moment. I invite you to a love that is so scandalous that the God of the universe would robe himself in flesh and die for you. He could be spat on and stabbed through his side for you. So he could be despised and rejected of men for you. I invite you to Jesus. What's the worst that could go wrong if you put your faith in him? Nothing. Like, the worst that could go wrong is you put your faith in somebody and lived a good life. But you see, it doesn't end there because the faith that we have in Jesus is real and it is living. And he has secured eternity for us on the other side of this life. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you to eternity. I invite you to being with God in the fullness of joy for the rest of time. And if you are like me and you love the Lord, but life has been getting you where it hurts the most. I invite you to remember what he said about you. When the enemy comes with his lies, remember what Jesus said about you. Remember that you are made in the image of God and those things hold true. And listen, I invite all of us as we end this service today to take a moment. Take a moment and rehearse the goodness of God to yourself. If our prayer partners could come forward as our band comes out and begins to sing, I want us to spend the next few moments in worship of God. Lift your eyes to the one who has sent everything for you to be able to know him. Prayer partners, you're welcome to come forward. Everyone, if you are willing, you can stand. Let's worship God. Let's turn our anxieties and our worries over to him, knowing that he will make it right. He will make it new and he loves us more than we could ever know.
Now to him who was able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty power and authority before all time now and forever this Jesus Christ our Lord keeps us from stumbling Jesus we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your house today God, we thank you because you have made yourself known to us. God, the psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful of him? God, we thank you for being mindful of us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that has granted us all the riches and the blessings that we have in this life. In the name of Jesus, God, go before us this week. Walk with us this week. Help us to learn to love you deeper and more affectionately, God. Help us to fall in love with your word this week, oh God. Deepen our love for what you have said, God, so that we know how to navigate all the areas of this life because we know what God has said concerning all the things that trouble us. God, keep all of us. Keep our minds in perfect peace. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Thank you, church. Enjoy your week. See you guys at micro churches and online. God bless you guys.